Hello and welcome to the Oxygen Addict Podcast. We're brought to you every week by our sponsors, PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. Personalize your fueling and hydration strategy so you can perform at your best. You can get 15% off your first order of electrolytes, carbohydrates, and fuel with the code OA22 at PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. Okay, everybody, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Coach Rob Wilby, and every week I bring you an episode of this podcast to help motivate and inspire you. This week, we've got part two of our best of wrap-up of 2022. This is the age group interviews. I've selected five interviews that I uh, really enjoyed. In fact, I really enjoy all of the interviews that we do. It's super, super hard to find any you know, any real highlights, but five stories today that I think will really inspire you. There's obviously just a clip from each one of them here. So if you've enjoyed listening to this and you haven't heard the episode before, or you want to go back, there's a link in the show notes to just go back and uh, to click through to listen directly to that show. So yeah, great stuff. Before we do this, I want to give a massive shout out to our sponsors for this year, precisionfuelandhydration.com. These guys, I think, are the best company in the world at providing electrolytes, staying hydrated, and fueling for endurance athletes. They're a great bunch of people. I think they've got world-leading products. I really, really rate them. You can go over to their website, you can get your own personalized strategy for your own racing over at precisionfuelandhydration.com. The planner helps you to understand your own carbohydrate needs, your electrolyte needs, and your fluid needs. So you can get your strategy right during training, and then you can nail it on race day. And you can also book a free one-to-one video consultation with PFNH's athlete support team over there. They're really happy to help you nail your race nutrition plan and help you perform at your best on race day. Love this team. Really, really happy that they're going to be supporting us all the way through into 2023 and hopefully beyond as well. Okay, so first interview up for your delectation today. I have kicked things off with Simon Maguire. Simon, a lot of you will remember, um, longtime team member. Simon completed his own self-supported Ironman this year with um, friends and team members supporting him, his family there as well. Um, So we've got a clip with Simon talking about the lead up to his event here. So uh, yeah, I really hope you enjoy this and it inspires you to go back and listen again. Back in January uh, 20, what am I going to say? Back in January 2019, I was I was heavily overweight, weighed in at sort of twenty one stone on the on the scales. I had I had a, a couple of personal issues, you know, with with um, uh, alcohol and and certainly painkillers, and life just wasn't in a in a great place. And I kind of had a bit of a moment when um, uh, I got my photo taken with someone that I really admire, a, a cricketer called Freddie Flintoff, and I was going to share it on my Facebook and whatever. And I thought, jeepers. I do not look good. Um, and it kind of just really set some some wheels in motion that I needed to make some make some pretty drastic changes. And um I started going about that, um, started doing it with with boxing, and that really helped. Um, and then really I just I, I guess I was getting fitter and fitter over the course of that year, and I um, my brother had talked to me a little bit about triathlon and stuff, and I thought, oh, you know, that sounds that sounds difficult, but quite exciting. And um, I just really wanted to carry on the journey, and so I signed up with you with you guys in January 2020. Um, and I had a half Ironman in the in the 
diary essentially in September of that year. And I wanted to try and train for that and get some get some knowledge from from you guys on on how best to do that. And then COVID hit literally just after I joined. Um, of course but it did, in, yeah. In kind of essence, yeah. that was brilliant. So a couple of months yeah. after after you joined us, really, that wasn't it. But I think that was a bit of a blessing in a way uh, for, for for me and my fitness anyway, that I was part of the team because it actually, you know, I, I, I could have fallen off a cliff at that point, but um, I had the team to, to really inspire and, and motivate me. And you guys did lots of exciting things that we could do from home. And there was a great kind of atmosphere around training. Um, yeah. And so then, you know, after three years, kind of fast forward and um, did, the, did the Ironman and, you know, lost six stone now 85 pounds um and it's been wow. yeah, it's been a great journey yeah it's been a great journey 85 pounds that's i'm trying to do the maths in my head there were three and a half thousand calories in a pound so that's almost like it's almost a hundred sets of 3500 calories isn't it that's that's quite astonishing man that's a that's a lot of physical work has got done over the past three years <laughs> I'd say, I'd say, yeah. Um, so I got a message from you, and and you said, "Look, this is this is going to be a little bit left of field from what you usually do. I want to do an Ironman, but I want to do it in March, which obviously brings with it its own, well, the preparation of the winter brings its own unique challenges. As things turned out, you had a pretty." pretty beautiful day for the event itself but set the scene a little bit for for what it was that meant you wanted to do the Ironman on the particular date I think yeah so I'd done I'd done a, a half Ironman um I wouldn't say it was it was comfortable but I enjoyed it and that and that went well that was the um Outlaw Rex great team day um and you know I I enjoyed that and I felt you know the goal was always to try and push on and, um, you know, following a few conversations with different team members and things, I finally sort of felt capable um, middle of last year. But I really wanted to have something that kind of, um, you know, emotionally charged me up in terms of getting the training done and all of that. And I knew kind of this anniversary of, of my mum's passing was was on the horizon. And I just thought it's it's too good an opportunity to 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 miss to 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 kind of pay my respects in in a really strong way and um so I wanted to combine the the, the kind of two things together um and I probably um didn't understand the challenges really of training through the winter and all of that I just was a bit was a bit um gung-ho and um went for went for the 25th of March and um yeah and uh, luckily the weather turned out all right. It was just the six months before that. That was a little bit tricky. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was, it, it kind of all worked out really well. And, uh, you know, mentally, I just had the biggest why in my head the whole time. There was no, there was no danger of, of lack of motivation. That was for sure. Yeah. So the challenges and obviously, and you know, it's not something that's, that's unique to you. It's It's quite a common thing that someone will come and say, right, I want to do, Ironman South Africa, really big, beautiful race down in down in South Africa. I want to do Ironman Lanzarote, which is usually at the start of May. Uh, I want to do something down in Australia. And the real challenge of that is the reality of getting a six-hour bike ride done through the British winter 
it's almost as though six hours is a lot more than double three hours isn't it you can yeah. kind of fit a three-hour ride into a sunday in the winter and you get home and it's one o'clock and you're you know you're getting chilly and the sun's kind of starting to go down what was your experience because i think this can inform people who are looking to looking to do something in the future because obviously the ironman's an amazing thing to do but it's bloody difficult to train for even if things go perfectly and like the the weather part of the training can be a massive additional challenge can't it yeah and i think you know as i said i didn't i didn't really bear that in mind um you know all the one hour sessions is is fine you know you jump on the turbo there's no real difference the swimming yes it's dark but you know you you're still getting up at the same time so those are kind of okay the two the two sessions that are hard the the long ride um is really hard cuz um there's a lot of icy conditions as you know so sometimes you can't go out even if you want and a six hour you know I, th- I think looking back I did three or four kind of five hour turbos plus um and those were were mentally a real killer because you don't get a break on the turbo either you know you just keep on pedaling um and that was pretty boring at times but um you know um so that was that was a big challenge when you do go out you're freezing your bits off um and i certainly i had one i had one ride in january where it looked weather forecast looked all right i thought you know what this is okay went out at sort of 9 a.m and literally halfway round, it just started pelting it down and it was freezing cold and the wind was like um and i think i ended up doing about 100 kilometers that day um and i felt when i got off the bike i was like that's the best feeling ever but I think I think what the winter training does do as an advantage, because the three, you know, the long runs as well in the morning in the cold, that's that's tough. And I did one of the last three hour runs with work um, mixed in and I had to get up at something like five o'clock in Cornwall. It was freezing. It was dark. It was hilly. Um, and also because of the, the lighting wasn't great down there, I basically had to run the same 5K strip like over and over again. It was the most mind-numbing three hours of my life probably. But um, it hardens you and you actually, you know, it really toughens you up mentally. I remember that particular run. Um, I didn't have the greatest stomach. I felt like a bit poorly. I didn't feel brilliant, but it was the only window that I could get that run in that week. And I thought, I've got to get this done. And finishing that, I was like, right, I've done that. That's that's a big tick mentally. If I can do that in those conditions with no one around me at five o'clock in the morning in the middle of nowhere, in the freezing cold, you know, that is a mental tick. So whilst it has, I think it's, whilst I think it has, it's obviously big disadvantages, I think from a mental perspective, it has some quite big advantages in the sense that it, it it toughens you up. I mean, that 100K ride in that in those weather conditions, you know, there were so many times and stupidly my route went past my house after about 75, 80. And I was, how I managed to keep going for that 25 kilometres, I'll never know. But I was like mentally, right, just get past the house because once you pass the house, you're not going to turn back. But every inch of my body wanted to get in and get warm and and so on. So I think it it, it has its disadvantages, but mentally it, it toughens you up proper. Yeah. 
It, it's an interesting it's an interesting reflection that's actually i don't know whether you can hear this in the background my my next door neighbors just bought a harley davidson <laughs> and he's just cranked it up and it's like okay let's hope he drives away relatively quickly because this could this could inform the rest of the podcast <laughs> he's, testing, he's testing the engine oh dear um what i was going to say was it's a really good mental trick i think for athletes to use that the the going past your house point either plan to do it and make yourself do an extra 20 minutes. Or one of the tricks I used to do as an athlete was as I was approaching home with sort of five or 10 minutes to go, start thinking, okay, well, you plan to do three hours today. Kind of trick that inner, inner voice in your head and go, we're going to go on and do more. And you can kind of, you know, the inner voice says, I don't want to do more. You know, we said we were going to do, th- what, what are you doing? Why, how, why do we have to do more? Keep on going past the house. And then once you've done that, you learn to sort of, okay, well, I've learned that I can think I'm going to do one thing and I can then push my limits a little bit. And I used to find that you didn't have to actually go very much further. Once you've kind of cracked that inner voice that tells you you want to stop, the more whichever the voice is that says keep going wins those battles, the more ammunition you've got for for race day. Absolutely. Yeah, the more times. And and on race day, um, I mean, um, I'm sure Nigel Buxton will, will, will tell you, I had, re- I was really struggling with my stomach on the run yeah. and, you know, having had that three hour run in the bank from, from Cornwall, having had a bad stomach, I, I remember, and I was like, right, you can get through this. It will pass. You, you've done it before. You can get through this. Just, you know, keep going with the flow type thing. And so I think all of those experiences, you know, the nasty, the nasty bike ride or, or whatever, all of them kind of, you can just pull them out on the day and go, I've been in this situation before because I've done all the training and I can just rely on that to, to, you know, shape my experience. Yeah. I think, I think it's a really good, it's a really good point that even if things go perfectly on your day, it's going to be a really tough day anyway. And the people yeah. who, the people who are prepared for it to be really tough because of tough experiences they've had in training find not that the tough stuff is any easier come event day, but knowing that you've got over similar things in training can give you a real confidence. I think it's, it's the situations where people have avoided going out in the rain or they've only wanted to go for a run if the weather's been nice, or, you know, they've they've only wanted to go for a swim on a sunny day in the open water and you get to, you get to race day and it's, it's dark and the water feels cold. It's tough enough if you've already prepared for those things, but if you haven't prepared for them, it's an extra level of challenge, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So definitely, definitely training the winter has its, has its um, advantages. (laughs) Right. Well, let's talk about event week itself then. So coming up to Coming up to the 25th of March. I'll remember, Simon, I'll be honest, I was I was nervous for you because I was thinking, even if the weather is average on the day, that could be a tough ask. And it could be horrendous. We could have snow on the 25th of March. But as yeah. things played out, we had an absolutely beautiful, beautiful run of weather running up for that week, didn't we? Yeah, absolutely beautiful. And the like five days running up to it were just perfect and the, the weather forecast looked pretty solid and um I think that was definitely my mum saying you know here you go um can't can't be there with you in person but I can definitely lay this on for you um and I I, I 
look back at that weather and I think there was there was because literally the week after it was, it was snowing I think yes. um, it was it was like minus two minus three the week after and I was like right that's that's definitely a a, a sign from from up above if you believe in that sort of thing that, nice. that she was looking down yeah yeah um yeah well so talk us through talk us through your emotions in the few days leading up to the event then because it was a, a friday you did the event wasn't it as well so you had a, a working week to get through was that a friday or a thursday friday yeah, yeah no it was a it was, it was a friday and i think um you know luckily funny enough uh, nigel again reached out to me about two weeks before and he said look just as you go into taper just be just be wary it's it's not the best feeling and you'll still feel really tired and and you know but that's natural and I think um particularly the last week I was I was really tired I remember on the Sunday evening I was thinking oh, I feel I just feel awful and then probably by the Monday I felt like 85% then 90% then 95% and then on the day I felt 100% but I think that taper week is or it's hard isn't it one, it is it is really tough and actually it's, it was probably the toughest two weeks because you don't have the training to occupy your mind you you know there was a lot of logistics to sort out your own Ironman and you know lots of moving parts and I think it was just the pressure really I felt the pressure kind of crank up on myself I was like the best bit was my son I picked him up from school and um we'd mentioned to the to the school look if any of the kids want to come the children want to come after school and run a bit they'd be very welcome and Noah I picked him up from school when I was walking along and he said dad really proud of you doing this Iron Man thing you know it's it's really good and you know um good luck and all of that he said but you cannot mess this up he said you have put it out there and this is a 10 year old kid saying this to me he said you've put it out there and you cannot mess this up because all my school friends know now and I was like yikes you're right actually yeah I, I'm under big pressure here <laughs> so I, I really felt the pressure in those in those last two weeks I'm not gonna I'm not I just wanted to get on with it what a what an interesting and an astute observation from a 10 year old yeah isn't it yeah it, he's not feeling the pressure from his own point of view but but from a kind of you said you're going to do this big thing so yeah thanks son I yeah. was feeling the pressure yeah, exactly. anyway <laughs> exactly and if you want to hear the full story there, you're going to have to head back to episode 383 and listen to find out how Simon got on on his big event day. Next up, we've got an interview with Dr. Kareem Hamad. Kareem went over to the 70.3 World Championships in St. George, Utah, and he was as blown away by everybody else when he landed there to find that they were having a very hideously cold, cold snap, very early winter there. So we pick up the story with uh, with Kareem landing in America to discover it's an awful lot colder than he thought it was going to be at the 70.3 World Championships. I think it kind of goes to show that, you know, as well prepared as you can ever be, uh, you can never be completely prepared. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't expecting that. I thought... Maybe, you know, okay, it might be a bit cold, maybe for Americans who are used to, you know, lovely sunshine year, year all year round. Uh, but it was cold. It was really cold. It was uh, that kind of desert cold where the the air just feels, you know, like it's like it's just never going to warm up. Um, yeah, then, okay. 
even by midday, it would still stay quite cold. It was only really warming up by sort of 3, 4 p.m., which was no use, obviously. Um, oh, really? To us, yeah. So that was really, um, and by 4 p.m., it was, the weather was great. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was cold. <laughs> so it was interesting looking at the pictures of people in transition on race day morning. It literally was like woolly hats and down jackets and what was your what was your expectation of getting into the water in temperatures like that because i mean we don't it looked like it was it was down near freezing and that's what's reported we obviously don't do triathlons in that kind of temperature over here so what was your experience of getting ready to go in the water on race day yeah so i mean i was really cool i remember and one of the problems was um the shuttle buses they're all kind of at the same time which was ridiculously early sort of 5 a.m um however my actual wave my age group was uh, over an hour maybe an hour and a half after the professionals so that means I was um, you know waiting for about an hour and a half just you know in my wetsuit in order to warm up just to kind of keep warm it's just another layer at that point yeah uh, in a down jacket with my swimming cap on as well another layer <laughs> <laughs> just trying to just trying to stay warm you know doing the odd jog around just just to keep warm but um uh, the water itself, I was told, um, because I had, didn't have a chance to get in before, um, you weren't allowed on the day. And the only uh, sort of organized swim at the area was very much earlier in the week. So I was told it was a bit warmer than the air temperature. Um, and it was. So getting in the water itself wasn't too bad. It was still chilly. I'd guess about 15 degrees, the water. Okay. Um, but the real issue was getting out of the water. And um, that's kind of when it hit you, when you got your wetsuit off um and you know you're putting your um you know your uh helmet on and things like that and you've stopped for a minute but then it was it was really cold really really cold hey okay did you manage to warm up at all on the bike when you got out there or was it a, a case of because there was a there was a real thing on instagram there were obviously some people just racing in skin suits mm -hmm. there was a thing i read about holly lawrence having decided you know she could she can make the the twenty second gap or whatever by not putting anything extra on. And I was looking at her and thinking, man, everyone else is wearing long sleeve jackets, and she's wearing like the traditional tiny little swimsuit thing she raced in. And she said afterwards, she was so cold she could barely think for the first mm. half of the bike leg. Mm. Um, was that your experience getting out and a, onto a the little bike? bit? Yeah. So I mean, the, my problem was is basically I got out of the water um, and. There's so many participate participants that is quite a long number that I had to remember, which was my uh, my race number, and I was sure I was three one six one. So I, I run to my bag, and my bag's not there, um, and okay. I had that panic moment where I was like, "Somebody's taken my bag!" So I run over to an official, and I'm shouting at the official. Well, not shouting at him, but I'm panicked. You know, someone's taken my bag. He comes. What number are you? Three one six one. So we're both looking for my bag everywhere. It's not there. Um, he asked to see my little wristband, uh, which has got the number on. So I showed him the wristband. He's like, no, you're 3616. So I'm like, oh, right, okay. So <laughs> I go, I finally find my bag. I probably wasted a couple of minutes there. Um, and because of that, I'm already in a panic to be quick. So my previous plan had been to put arm warmers and gloves. Um, my arm warmers that I've got are, are kind of a bit fleecy on the inside. Um, so that they do really keep you warm, those arm warmers. Um, and I'm the kind of person that if my arms are warm, I feel generally warm. I think because, you know, they're out in the in front of me as well. So um, I started putting the arm warmers on, but I was just in such a rush after this little delay that I just thought, you know what? <laughs> I'm Leave not going to bother. Go. I'm going to be yeah. fine. I 
threw him, threw him down, put the gloves on and just set off. Um, and I was, I was, it was a bit of a Holly Lawrence because I was freezing for about five to 10 minutes. Um, but I think I was a bit more fortunate than her because um, my race uh, obviously started a bit later than, than hers. So, you know, about half an hour into the bike, it, I think the temperature was a couple of degrees warmer. Um, and yeah, I started warming up. Uh, okay. So it wasn't, in the end, I was quite happy with that decision. It's super hard, isn't it, to get arm warmers over wet arms anyway at the best of times. But I think it goes to show when you when you get flustered and when you you feel the pressure of the timing and stuff, it's so hard or it's so easy to make a decision that you probably wouldn't make in the rational light of day oh, to 100%. save a couple of seconds now that you end up being freezing for the next two hours. Yeah, yeah 100%. I think I don't know how much blood was in my brain at that point, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it was a questionable, questionable decision. Uh, and I'm, I'm just lucky. I was really lucky that I didn't get a, um, too cold you know if the weather had had turned a bit worse or um you know uh i didn't quite manage to warm up that i really might have regretted that decision yeah. <laughs> what would you do differently next time if you if you went again next year or if someone else was going next year what would you what would you plan to do in situations like that i think you've just got to prepare for it so um like if i was going to do another race abroad or even really just any race one thing i will get good at now is putting my arm warmers on you know, i've never once put my arm warmers on sort of in anger you know in any sort of <laughs> any sort of rush at all so the first time I ever tried that was <laughs> literally then during the race um because in my in your head you think putting arm warmers on like it's like socks for your arms it's like how hard can it be but hard <laughs> yeah no totally I can so, I know, can still I think... remember doing a, a sprint race in the early days and and then pool sprint and not having worn my tri top to swim in thinking it would maybe save me a second or whatever trying to pull my tri-top over as I was as I was standing by my bike and it just getting completely stuck and rolled up and having to ask another athlete to help help yeah. roll it down it's like you see his torn between thinking well I'm in a race but this poor guy's not going to get out on the bike so yeah it's interesting how something that's so simple that you don't even consider it's the same with putting socks on sometimes isn't it if you don't practice and if you don't have them rolled a certain way it can be really hard to get them on on race day yeah yeah, yeah. okay so the, the bike course itself then from from what i've seen online because i've never been there it's a split transition the lake's somewhere else and you end up riding out and around and back again what's your experience of the bike course like um, yeah, so it's a beautiful course, really, really beautiful. The the scenery is amazing. You know, it's everybody says that it, uh, you know when they go to Kona, they they can be uh, underwhelmed by riding on a motorway. Um, it's, so it's definitely not that. You're not just riding on a motorway. You're riding sort of through canyons, beautiful uh, views everywhere. I mean, I would say that you enjoy the views more on the practice rides <laughs> than you do on the day. <laughs> um, but yeah, in that sense, it's lovely. Um, it's a hilly course, so you're either going up or down. You're, there's very, very little flat, I would say. It's all up or down. Um, it's quite gradual, so there's no climbs where I, you know, felt like, you know, oh, I'm in danger of having to get off here or go above, you know, way above the power that I'm sort of willing to go. Um, but it is all up or down. Okay. So it's so it's a very scenic course, but people need to prepare for the fact that it's exceptionally hilly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And how did you feel on the bike? Yeah. So uh, going into the race, um, I'd have I'd had a little niggle in my back that basically 
it would rear its head usually after about an hour of riding um but it had felt like it had been better the last few weeks and I did a practice ride and uh, sort of a practice brick session where I tried to uh, simulate the course as much as possible and it was okay for that so I was hoping that it would be fine I think just the up and down nature of the bike meant that I'd go from you know being stretched out in aero to stood up stretched out in aero you know very 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 often so that really set it off and about an hour and a half in up until that point I'd been you know perfectly sort of going to my power um targets and I was really happy with it then it just completely I felt this popping feeling in my back as I as I was climbing out the saddle and um I was I was in trouble then for a second I was thinking oh no is my race over am I gonna have to pull over uh but you know I desperately wanted that medal and I've not, you know I really really didn't want to pull out of the race so I just really eased on the power and you know that was fine I think I would have been okay on any other course but because it was the um that hilly course where most of the climbing comes at 70 or 75 kilometers in something called snow canyon and it's a it's a big ascent up to the peak which is about a thousand meters um of elevation and um, that was a big problem so I ended up mm-hmm. basically having to pedal with one leg uh, going up and you know I really um I think I lost quite a lot of time trying to get up that hill but the benefit of it was first of all then I had a big descent down um which was quite scary that <laughs> I, I, I like to think of myself as quite a brave descender um but I was really on the edge there I was you know I stayed managed to stay in aero but I was getting to speeds of 70 kilometers an hour which um in aero in the crosswinds uh you know with a disc wheel and other participants on the course was quite scary actually yeah um so yeah but I got to the end of the bike feeling really fresh <laughs> one thing I knew is that I definitely didn't exceed my power <laughs> limit for a good run <laughs> it's pretty hard to have to do a, a big epic climb like that with only one leg really able to contribute to the climbing isn't it it's uh it's it's less than ideal in the middle of a world championships I guess yeah and you know it wasn't even just the physical aspect it was as well demoralizing because you know Course, I've had yeah. quite a lot of people on the bike up until that point and then you see all these people who you've been passing coming back uh, something that usually is my strength is quite a light athlete um you know usually the hills I really look forward to being able to uh, pull some places back uh, on the big strong athletes who can you know do 250 watts for days <laughs> <laughs> you know it's nice to but yeah so that, that was a bit demoralizing um but you know I was happy just to be able to finish the race at that point yeah cool so you managed to get yourself to t2 and how did you feel then were you even confident you'd be able to run at this point or was it just a case of seeing how things felt so before i started running i was confident because um basically this injury that i've had is never it's never shown itself on the run i've always been able to run completely uh fine so i i thought oh that'll be okay one of the only issues was the practice course that I kind of drew myself up at home, um, which is the hilliest course I can find locally. Uh, the only problem is, is at home, it starts with the descent. So it starts with about three kilometers of descending and then goes to the big hill. Whereas this course is five kilometers straight uphill um, as soon as you get off the bike and then five kilometers back and then five kilometers straight uphill again and then five kilometers back. So you know, when I, where I'm used to running downhill off the bike, now I'm running uphill 
And my aim had been to run about four minutes 40 per kilometer up the hills and then about four minutes down the hills. Um, so I started and I, I was, you know, well within my target. If, if anything, I was a bit faster than my target. But I did feel terrible. <laughs> but I, I think that was <laughs> like looking back to it now, that's just a reasonable amount of terrible to feel running up a hill as quick as you can. <laughs> so, yeah, um, uh, I actually felt OK. And then as soon as I turned around to run down the hill, I felt absolutely great. So the benefit of, uh, of of having to hold back on the bike really paid you back onto the run in terms of feeling fresh. Yeah, yeah. So I was just going to say, so not not even in just in terms of time, but certainly in terms of enjoyment. So you know, I was I was saying earlier to you that basically, if I had gained even an extra ten minutes on the bike, overall my position barely would have changed. Um, you know, where I would have come out of let's say the 3000 people I barely would have gained you know 50 places 100 places um I think and I think part of that is that the world championships are so stacked towards the ridiculously fast people that you know it wouldn't have done you know much difference at all however I actually got to enjoy the race so much I've never ran with such a smile on my face so yeah I was really really happy with that and what's your perception on the run of running faster than the people who were around you coming off the bike is that part of what sort of added to the enjoyment of it oh i, I thought i was going to win the race to be honest rob um, <laughs> <laughs> like um down the hill i was i was probably running four four minutes to four ten per kilometer but in my head i was running you know sub three i was uh, just because it's one of those courses where a lot of people blow up on the bike a lot of people blow up on the run so there's so many people who are walking crawling it um at that stage going nowhere really especially up the hills um, and even down the hills because that can be quite quite a lot on the quads and some people will be you know completely cramped up and still have another four kilometers of downhill straight to go so you know i passed a lot of people uh, on that run which is really nice yeah yeah do you know it's an interesting reflection that isn't it that you were almost you're almost forced well you were forced into the position of massively un- under biking compared to what you trained for and then the trade-off of that is you get to experience what running feels like off the bike if you if you're a bit under the not the power target but almost the power limit. And I think there's a mental temptation to think, okay, I'm going to bike right to the limit of what I think I can do, and then try and sort of hang on on the run. It's a very different experience running for an hour and a half, feeling fantastic when everyone else is falling apart, isn't it? Yeah, and one of the things that I felt like I barely had you've know, been able to put any power out on the bike but when I look back to it on training peaks um because I ride to power uh, my normalized power was only 10 or 12 watts below my target in the end oh, so it wasn't it, it wasn't even um anywhere near what I was expecting it to be uh, and part of that is you know sort of going up and down hill uh you know your your average power whilst you're there is constantly a bit lower because you know you think that let's say you're going down a descent and now now your average power is down to 100 and whatever because you know you've not yeah, been you just can't put the power out going yeah down when i look at normalized yeah. power that kind of corrects for that um yeah it was actually not that much less than what i was intended to do so really if i hadn't had that injury i wonder if i'd have ended up uh over biking and you know <laughs> yeah I think that's a very it's a very common thing, especially in a in a big event in an A race in the World Championships. Everybody is is trying to be right on the very limit, and 
it's it's been really interesting for me to listen to your explanation of how it felt running because as a coach that's what you want your athletes to experience but i think as an athlete especially as a triathlete we want to get the best performance we can out of our bike legs sometimes and kind of convince ourselves that that's that's going to not play such a big part in the run mm-hmm. i almost always think that the answer to i didn't feel great on the on the run boss was well you probably overbiked then even if it didn't feel like it mm-hmm. and it's so great to hear you experience such a really positive run at the end of all this because it basically made your made your world championships didn't it yeah 100% i think uh, it's you know I, i'm not here to win uh you know to win money, prize money or whatever you know so really the important thing is how it feels and it's a lot more fun Dr. Kareem Hamad there talking about the uh, the importance of having a really good, enjoyable run come race day and really enjoying every minute of that event rather than feeling as though you're hanging on during the last, uh, well, during any of the half marathon or the marathon, really. Next up, we're bringing you an interview from a gentleman called John Fellows. John was com- competing at the Outlaw full distance event this year was his first full distance event. He was super, super excited to get himself into shape to complete the full distance event. By his own admission, his one aim of this event was to get himself to the finish line. So we get to hear stories in this episode of people at the World Championships racing for the wins and age groups and also people who are taking part and it's their biggest dream to get themselves into shape to complete an Ironman or half iron distance. So over to uh, John Fellows. The swim was absolutely fine. The day before, actually, I'd had the practice swim and the, um, one of the sponsors had uh, done a practice day. You could uh, test some of the, the wetsuit. So I tested a 700-pound wetsuit the day before. And so that was quite... It was, so I got that. But I, was, I think I, it was a Ferrari of a wetsuit and I'm a Ford one day of a swimmer. So it wasn't a good match. I spent more time worrying about putting my fingers through it than anything. So I'd, I'd been in the swim... And the water was fine, and it was yeah. And once I got on, I, I actually did okay, a slightly faster than I thought I would do. Like I think over the year, I think my swimming, I got a lot, I got a lot more endurance, but a little less. I think I lost some technique because I'm doing the swimming on my own. Mm. I stopped doing sort of tri club swims when I'm trying to do three and four k sessions and that sort of thing. It's difficult to do that with other people around. Yeah, uh, but that was that was fine. I always with the swim though. I mean, I did it, I think, 2.32, I think I did it. 1.32. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to knock an hour off your swim time. Already. This is how good it is. And no, do you know I, what? So Considering you swam, you swam 50 minutes at Staffs to swim uh, 1.32, that's a really good swim. It's a really good yeah. swim at Outlaw. I know. It was, it, was, it was good for me. It actually worked quite well. You know, uh, Because I'm not at the front of the pack, that... Um, I let people go, so I, I got in the water at the at the tail end or middle towards the end. Gun went, and I waited. I yeah. let people go for a count to ten, and away I went. And that that ten seconds made a big difference to me. Yeah. Just keeping my heart rate low, not having uh, nobody in the waters ever. I, I, I've I've never been you know punched. Or, I mean, I've, I've been hit and kicked and other things, but nobody's meant to do it. You yeah. know, not at my end of the race. Right. So, you know, Alistair Brownlee aside, I don't think I've ever heard of anyone, you know, deliberately doing that because it because because we're all, you know, because it's a supportive atmosphere and everyone's trying to get do the best they can. So you just wait, you know, wait for five minutes and away I went. And, you know, it was, it was 
it was just about keeping a couple of things in my head. You know, I remember you know, one of my swimming coaches uh, talked about, you know, I need to keep a high elbow and to make sure that I'm a, a pull all the way through. And and that was all I was, you know, just trying to make sure that you, you focus on one or two things of technique so you don't go to bits when you get a bit tired and just focus on. So, you know, I wasn't... Um, I wasn't lucky enough to be able to draft for very long, but I was okay with that. And actually, yeah. the way the Outlaws structured anyway, there's only um, two turns in the Outlaws swim course anyway, so it's up and back. So there's no, you don't have. It's not like some courses I've seen where you know you're, you're snaking your way around a lake or yeah. something. You, know, you yeah. don't have to. Like staffs was a was was a more circular, so it was a you know, it was a lot more kind of. You had to be more aware, and you had to keep your head up, and you do other things. For us, an outlaw, if you, you know, I was bilateral breathing, so every every six strokes, I would be able to see how far I was from the side of the lake. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's nice how that works, doesn't it? Yeah, it's quite yeah. a, it's quite a reassuring. You're swimming. Yeah. It's not like going to Ironman Nice, where you're literally swimming two kilometers <laughs> out towards the horizon. You're only forty yeah, yards yeah, yeah, from yeah. the bank, aren't you, outlaw? Yeah, exactly. So it's it was a perfectly manageable thing for. For some yeah. that. and so that was good. And then out, and out I came, and then into, and in, and in, into transition, and onto the bike. And um, you know, I think if I had to do one thing again, I'd probably practice um, some more practical stuff in a tri suit, so the short sleeved tri suit. And so I came out, and one of the things I thought into Stafford was that I need to go to the toilet, but I didn't go. I was bursting for the toilet for, for I thought, no, oh, I can need the settings. I'm nearly on. And I, but I think just you know, I thought, right, I'm just I'm not going to be an idiot. I'm just going to go. So out of the water, try to toilet, and I went. So then trying to get a short sleeve trice wet skin tight short sleeve tri suit on a, on a portaloo. It was not something I practiced. Before. Yeah, it's hard, that isn't it? That's a yeah. hard thing. So, yeah. uh, so I would definitely. You know, so I'm not quite sure how the training sessions for that would go, but um, there's my that's a lesson for me. <laughs> and did that? <laughs> how, how does that work? But no, and it. I, I, so I managed to do that, and then on the bike and away we went. And the bike, you know, and uh, you know, I, I again, I think I'd spent a huge amount of time poring over this bike course online, you know. Google Earth, and I'd seen I'd seen it all the way around, and I'd actually I'd driven the southern parts two loops out. Well, you go out, you do uh, the southern loop once, round the northern loop, and then round the southern loop again. And I did the so I drove most of the course on the Saturday, which I think was a good idea. But it was you know it was a windy old day. I think it was you know. So I checked the Strava thing this morning. It was seventeen miles an hour, and I got on the bike, and it definitely got windier. Mm. So and it was quite flat. So I wasn't on aero bars. Like one of the fact here's another learning point for me is that I decided um not uh, I thought I wasn't going I, I don't have a tri bike. I'd spent quite enough money. Maybe I'm not ruling it out for the future, but um I, but I also thought I'm not going to um put uh, ba- uh, bars on my bike, I'm just gonna do it as it is and that way it's solid till I do it. But that definitely you know, I'm not sure I'm fast enough to get a huge amount of benefit out of that. But, Do you know, um, I think that there's always an opportunity to spend money. <laughs> get new kids. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think with yeah. with long distance, the thing with try bars is it's more about getting you into a position that's comfortable. And if you're comfortable, you know, your first one, if you're comfortable sitting up on your bike, sitting on the hoods or wherever, that's fine. I'd rather an athlete does that than puts aero bars on and isn't comfortable and can't use them. And even more so than an athlete buys a tri bike and isn't comfortable. You've just got to read Nigel's report from Wales, number of people he passed yeah. on top end tri bikes yeah. that can't, if, you, if you're not in the, in the aero position on a tri bike, there's no point having it literally. So yeah. I think it's all about for next time. If you're going to do it, do it early in the season, put them on, get comfy on them. And then when you're comfy, it's a whole different thing because the, it's almost like the aero benefit is, well, it's real, but it's secondary to the fact that I'm just comfortable resting my arms on the bars here. I think that's the biggest benefit to them. That's the, that's the main reason to do it. Yeah. And it's one of my learning things from this year really has been, um, I think I've, I've been good at my run, bike and swim work sessions and I've been really consistent with that and that's been good I've been less good with the yoga and less good with the strength stuff and actually the yoga in particular for a bigger guy like me you know I'm, uh, uh, I think I was about 16 and a half stone when I did outlaw but I was about 18 and a half at Christmas last year right? so yeah. actually trying to get myself into that position was difficult no, well done. physically yeah, difficult that enough. is that yeah. is a massive then, twenty-eight pound weight loss. It's enormous, mate. That's uh, really good. No, it was good. So I've got, but I've got more to go. So you know, my plan, you know, part of my plan for next year, if I can do the yoga and get myself down to, you know, uh, a little bit more, then it'll make that stuff a lot easier. Yeah. But I, so, yeah. and outlaw, it, it, I'm not sure how much of a. At the time. It, 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 it was interesting because it was so it was so windy in some parts of that course because it's not that it's quite flat and so mm. going at you know certainly at the end going into it I can remember coming round the corner and the, on the last loop so it could have been eighty miles or ninety miles in and uh, it's been you know it was and then seeing like half a dozen guys they turned came around the corner into the wind so half a dozen guys sitting or standing at the side of the road just. Had gone out too. They were clearly gone out too hard, right? Okay. And it just got to that and got to that point. It was really, um, that was quite a, that was quite a moment when you're going through it and you're keeping yourself positive in your head and you're uh, and then seeing all these and then seeing these guys just run out of run out of steam or run it because it was it was quite sapping because you also couldn't hear so you, you know you you couldn't really chat to people because the wind was so much. Of kind of yeah, to do. It can be quite so that, lonely that, even that, that, people around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it was. It was, it was a bit lonely, yeah. and that's when, when you're out there for seven hours. I didn't know a bike was almost exactly seven hours. Um, that's a long. You know, that is quite a long time just on your own and not having mm-hmm. that, that, that that stuff. So for me, it, that was quite positive. I, mean, I, that's, I don't know. I kind of thought ahead. So with with the help of my eight year old and eleven year old, um, I'd put together a an outlaw playlist, a Spotify playlist, right, and so. I'd filled it with all these kind of happy, positive songs. So I had, um, what did I have? Sia's Unstoppable. I had that in my head. I, and I played and I played it and I was in the car for six hours going down, plus all the running around. So I had like a dozen songs that were just, because I knew that if I was going to get an earworm yeah. and listen to something all day, it better be the right one. You know? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, totally. Right? It's better that so than I had, Baby Shark, isn't it? 
Well, quite right. So I had I had unstoppable, and I was oh, I had a couple of others. I'm going to have to, have to look for it, try and find it. But it was just to make sure that I had the right songs in my head. So when you got to those moments, that you know, six and a half hours cycling into a 20, 20 mile um, uh, headwind, you're um, you know you're you're ready for it, and your your self talk is good, and mm. then you're. You know, you're, that that was what's important. You know, yeah. just doing that for me, yeah. and then that made a big difference at that point. So the bike was wasn't physically hard. I you know, you know, I I, I actually struggled to. Although I was trying to train to the race, I found I struggled to find a route flat enough in Perth. You know, yeah, close to me that I could do it. Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. Well, you but paced it, it really was, well. I was looking at your data mentally, in the background yeah. here, and your your power levels, your TSS, everything was were spot on where where we advise you to be so you know you've done the hard well, work by by training and practicing and, and you really delivered that john no that's good because my because i as i say i did uh, been using best bike split yeah one of the things we did and when i actually when i got into t2 um it didn't work <laughs> <laughs> so i got on I, and i got to my bike and it was quite a long transition and my one of the bikes for the first ones and so i went to turn my bike on and uh it wouldn't load up Got an error message. So, all right, okay, turn off, turn off. We get error messages. So I thought, right, but if it's, this isn't working by the time I get on my bike, right, I had printed out the wee tip sheet. Yeah. So that was on my, also with a an elevation map. Okay. And I put that across the top of the handlebars. And nice. I said to myself, well, look, when I'm, when I am, I get to the end of this, there's nothing else I can do. I'm just going to have to go and I'll use the tip sheet. So I, I was quite pleased as well because I, I managed to do that. But that, I think that was just because I'd done all my training. I'd, I'd followed the plan. You know, we had, a, I knew what my, I knew what cycling on a flat or cycling up a 4% incline felt like. Right. And I was doing it the right way because, you know. And, and I think so I'm just going to interject here to tell people who, who haven't used Best Bike Split or don't know what it is. So obviously we all know it, but it's a computer program that, it will will give people basically a power target to ride on the flat, a power target to ride in a headwind, a power target to ride uphill, a power target to ride with a tailwind. It can do a really complicated version that tells you minute by minute on the Garmin what to ride to, but you can also print out this kind of cheat sheet that you stick on your top tube and it just says flat, 180 yeah. watts, uphill, 200 watts. Yeah. Even something like that, and that's available on the free version for people. We're not, we're not paid by these guys. I just think it's a brilliant product. It allows you to know that you're going to get to the run with enough energy to spare to have a good run. And yeah. certainly I'll let you fill in the run. But when we saw you, it looked like it looked like you'd paced it perfectly because you are noticeably running better and looking happier than people who were around you. And that's the battle, uh, no, right? The, yeah, no, absolutely. And that was I think that, that was for me ever everything the first two you know, for the swim and the bike, it was all about just getting to the run in a reasonable shape. And yeah. just to make sure I was ready for that. You know, I'd done one marathon before, you know, almost 10 years ago, in which I had a um uh one of the most interesting non uh, failures to go to the toilet I've ever had in my life. I think I met a doctor a couple of years ago and explained my marathon story to him and I was round the back of Billingsgate Fish Market, unable to pee <laughs> and started telling me what what potential damage I could have done to my kidneys at that point if I you know, because I hadn't been drinking or eating properly. 
And so, you know, I decided, you know, I, I decided I was going to get myself to that point a bit better and make yeah. sure that I was you know, properly prepared and properly ready without it, just so it didn't fall apart for me again. And and that was, you know, and I was actually quite confident, or quite happy looking back what we did, you know. So no, the 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 bike split was good because it, it just it gave me something focused on for that seven hours, and it was, you know. It, Healthy positive, but I finished. You know, I was a, a wee bit slower than I thought I would be. Um, most I think mostly down to the kind of windy conditions and other things. But uh, I saw I was lucky. I saw my wife at eighty miles, so she'd gone. She saw me off in the swim and then went back for a, a sleep. And I thought I'll see you on the run. And she actually managed, she woke up early, and so that was a lovely thing. And then she was standing at the uh, when I brought when I dropped the bike off at the transition as well and that was that was just lovely it was just a nice thing to nice. to see as yeah. well so so there we are and then and that was me so i got on and i had good legs and the sun was shining and you know and, and then off and off i went but i had a decision to make at that point because my my, my first transition because of uh, practical uh toilet issues was longer and then i was a bit longer on the bike and so if I, I decided, so I knew when I went into the run that I'd have to get right at the top end of what was possible if I was going to beat 14 hours. And I knew, uh, I said, well, if I go out and I hit the middle of my zones and I hit the middle of you know, where, I, where I was going, I said, I should, that, that's, I think that's sustainable from here. Um, but I won't make 14 hours. I'll be you know, fifty. You know, a wee bit slower. But I thought if I can do the first part, you know, if I think so, I thought, so I decided, and actually, I just made, and I made a conscious decision at that point. I'm going to go for the top end and see what happens because I felt good. Things were going well. Was on track. Uh, I'll aim for the stars a wee bit, and we'll see what happens. And uh, so off I went. So I think I saw you in my first lap. Was it my first lap? Uh, it must have been my first lap. And uh, I said to you how grateful I was and happy to see you. And it was, that was a really nice thing to do. And out I went. So that was the first, and the first half was great. Cracked on right at the top. Did my first half in 2.27, which was perfect, you know, uh, perfect for me. And then in a recurring theme of my race, I went to the toilet at the top of the lake. <laughs> My thankfully a bit dry ago. and and so you passed the halfway was just after the finish you went past the finish line and halfway was just after that and I got to I came, after I, came, I went to the toilet came out got down and my wife was at the finish line she, she asked you know how are you how are you getting on how are you feeling and up until that point I'd been brilliant great tremendous on it and as soon as she asked me I was like how do I really feel oh actually all right now not great so and by the time i got to around the lake and then onto the river i was i, I noticed i was about 30 seconds a minute slower at that point than i was like two miles earlier yeah so um so i you know so i didn't quite so i didn't hold what i I didn't hold the top all the way through. I mean, it was a hot. I mean, it was a hot day. It was 26, 27 for me. Mm. No, twenty seven for everybody, um, which is noticeably warmer. It's a bigger change in temperature for me than it was for us. That was the weekend after forty degree heat. In England, That's right. That? It was the, yeah. The heat wave had just broken, hadn't it, during the week? Yeah, yeah. So 
you know, so I mean, I, you know, a kind of a large Scottish guy in forty degree heat doing a uh, would it would have been quite a sight to behold, I think. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it was so it wasn't quite as bad. But I think I probably because it wasn't catastrophically awful. I don't. I probably underestimated that a wee bit. Yeah. And in retrospect, I look back and think, actually, that was the that was the hottest day I had ever run yeah. in my life. And I that, think, that you know. definitely plays a part in how well you can hold pace, especially if you're doing what you've done and you, yeah. you're chasing the top end of the pace you think is is what you yeah. worked out yeah. to be reasonable. It's and and in some ways there were yeah. there were a lot of guys and women in heat distress that day, the back end of the mouth, and people looked cooked. Yeah. So it's you're certainly not alone for sure, and that actually I think you yeah. did really well to get to halfway. I just looked at your splits, yeah. and you were a little bit faster at halfway than you were in your run at Staffordshire. So that's uh, yeah, that's a uh, you know, decent yeah, decent run I, I pace really, to be you know be feeling good at for a full marathon. I, no, I didn't. I, you know, I, I was pleased with it, and I got it. But you know, I was. But I, I, I suppose I. I don't regret it because I made a conscious decision yeah. at that point. And, and I knew that there was a risk and a danger that it might not hold for the full time, but um, that it was worth it because um, doing a, I don't know if it would have worked out, doing a 420 or something, or if I ended up with like a four, four, sorry, 14. 20, but it wouldn't have been much different for the 1445-ish that I ended up getting yeah. emotionally or anything. But yeah. beating 14 hours would have been a big boost, you see. So yeah. it was worth it was worth that 45 minutes, losing that 45 minutes by pushing for yeah. me. Yeah. Because, you know what, because as we said right at the beginning, like nobody, nobody at my work has asked me how long it took me to go around. Right? Right? Nobody. Like, my kids don't care. Yeah, right. That's exactly you it. Of, you got a picture, you got a picture of daddy with a medal, and did you, you know, cross the, the finish finishing line. line and all yeah. that kind of stuff? So I, that was my goal. I just but tell us about that. Then. So I always knew I was going the, to finish. Tell us about the end of the run. Tell us about the feeling oh. when. At what point did you know? What point did you realize you were going to do it? <sighs> I knew I was going to. But I don't know. I don't think I didn't have one of those. It's definitely on things because I, I had decided I was going to. Yeah. I didn't have a some. I think in some, I suppose in some races, you, I, I mean, when I did London Marathon, it was um, twenty miles. I knew I was going to finish because I knew I could do a six or a six mile run from where I was. Right, but I didn't. With actually, without law, I put myself in a place where I where I, I knew it was going to happen, and I'd done everything that I needed to do, and I was at peace with myself about all the controllables. And so if something left field had happened, you know, I'd come off my bike or um, I'd, pulled, I'd gone over my ankle, right? It's not, I'd have been pretty upset, but I wouldn't, you know, uh, I'd have been at peace with myself yeah, because those were uncontrollables. And I'd controlled everything I needed to do. I'd run, I'd paced myself relatively well. I'd made a decision about pacing in the run. That I knew might, but I, you know, could I, could I crawl, you know, the last 13 miles in um, four hours or something that I needed to do to make the cutoff. Absolutely. Yeah. I would have done it. And so yeah. I think, so actually for me, it was, you know, I didn't have that revelatory moment, but that's what actually that, but it made the last half actually really 
good because even yeah. though I wasn't, I wasn't at the top of my goals, I was doing that thing. And so when you, uh, you know, I had a, you know, I, I remember there was a guy from, I, I talked to a woman from Wales and chatting to her on the run. And then I met somebody from Glenrothes, not far away from me in Scotland. And other things, and you think, you know, I mean, I, and then actually on the last turn of the lake, right at the top of the lake, was a guy who was having trouble, uh, and he was in quite a bit of bother. And I stopped to, to are you okay? Do you want me to get us, you know, oh, fine, oh, Scotland, oh, right, where are you from? Bridge of Air, five miles away, you know, so just chatting away, you know, so I met all these guys yeah. and chatting away, and that was, it made it a really, it was, it was a good thing, and I think, it, you know, I, I I just tried my hard. I, I was so happy and so grateful at that point. You know that I got to this point. That I was, you know, grateful for the support I had. I was grateful for people, you know, the volunteers doing all this stuff. My family, for you know, I did a lot of thinking about my dad and my, you know, and say I'm doing this stuff. You know, my kids can you know, have given up me taking them to places on a Sunday for you know for four months and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I was just I was. It was, I was very, it was just full of joy and, and gratitude for people. And it was, it was a really love, you know, I have to say it was a, I have only good memories about that second part of it because I'd say I'd settled into a rhythm. I knew I was doing it and uh, it, it, I could be supportive to others. Yeah. I think I might have, uh, I might have surprised a few people in the team. I have to say who, because I was in my Perth Tri Club kit, they had no idea who I was. I was sh- this kind of happy Scottish guy just yelling at people uh, <laughs> halfway around. Them. <laughs> so I, I had a couple of surprises with people, but no, it was it was a great experience that last bit. And so coming round and then coming down that funnel was just brilliant. And you know what? If you're a listener who's lining up the first long distance triathlon this year. I hope you have the kind of experience that John did on race day, that you're in the shape to complete it and you're in the shape to complete it comfortably. But most importantly, that you really enjoy the experience and take the time to take in, you know, it's it's the icing on the cake, really completing your first iron distance race on race day. It's the training that really makes all the difference. Next up, I've got an interview with you, uh, an interview for you with Pip Paxman. Pip, we started this interview off actually, and I thought it'd be interesting to play it back this time of year because so many of my friends and athletes that I coach are struggling again with COVID at the moment. So we kicked off Pip's interview before we um, before we started even really talking about her training and racing, talking about her recovery from COVID. It was early January of this year when we recorded this episode and Pip had had quite a nasty bout of COVID and was coming back. So we spent the first 10 minutes talking about that. And I thought this makes a really interesting section actually talking about the things that support your life around training. So if you want to hear more from this one, this is episode 369 with Pip Paxman. Yeah, um, so I got COVID at the start of December and um, got it quite badly actually as well. So I was um, like lying on my sofa for pretty much a week, um, solid, uh, got all the can't taste, can't smell, um, didn't really have an appetite. And then my heart rate was just pinging every now and then it it would just go really, really high and really like I could really feel it. Like I could feel it in like my ears. It was really strange. and I got out of breath really quick as well. We have like um, five steps in our house that take you to kind of the second bedroom and the like bathroom. And um, just going up those five steps, going brush my teeth was pretty, pretty um, horrendous. I'd have to like sit on the side of the bath and get my yeah. breath back. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was bad. But um, I mean, I had a month off like 
like you said and um and slowly slowly got back into it um but yeah it's I feel a lot better now there's still I still get a little bit um nervous sometimes especially in the pool I can feel my like uh, my heart rate monitor I can kind of almost feel my heart in my heart rate monitor and I think oh, yeah. that's really strange and just take it easy really just slow it down and um and yeah this but, it, but it's it's been generally fine um yeah it's interesting happy. isn't it how how many people have had that experience of like by and large generally our, our team members are you know extremely fit relative to the general population extremely fit relative to the triathlon population mm-hmm. to all of a sudden get an illness where you walk up a few stairs and you have to have a sit down like you're you know like you're a, a very elderly frail person yeah. is, is a real wake-up call isn't it? it it really is because that's that's the thing when I knew so many people who had it and were either fine or those that weren't fine didn't really have you know they were going out a lot of nights a week drinking and I kind of when I got the positive result I thought oh, I'll be fine I, like I'll be okay it's mm. not really a big deal um and then yeah I was just completely wiped out I, I, it really it really threw me back and I was quite upset to be honest because um I, like I knew that I wouldn't be able to train and I know yeah. it sounds a little bit silly but um because you know you don't have any immediate races coming up so in a way it was kind of good that if I was going to get it it was going to be in December like off season but Mm -hmm. like coming back to it now you can kind of see actually like physically on training peaks and on Strava like how much progress you've lost and I like I know it will come back and work hard to get it back but it's still it's you know not the most motivating it it will come back I think that's that's the thing you have to tell yourself and that's got to be the message for everyone who's had it is although COVID is is different in that it's a a new illness I think our general approach to illness is our brain always tells us how much we've lost and how we're never going to get back to it and then within a month of getting back to it you kind of usually have forgotten you were ever ill and it's only when you look back in your training diary where you go oh yeah I'd forgotten I had a week off with a cold or two weeks off with the flu or a chest infection or whatever it is I think the difference with COVID is it's in everybody's consciousness all the time because you can't look at a newspaper or a website without constant headlines about it so that reminds us that we've had it yeah absolutely I think think you will make well I know you will make that ground back that you've lost it's just in your face a lot more at the moment Mm. yeah Yeah. it's very true yeah really true I think well even I went for a cycle this weekend with some friends and um and actually out to Windsor and there are a couple of people there that I knew and and they'd all had COVID as well and we were all just sort of discussing um how similar like that we'd had it so they're they're very again very fit and healthy as well and and they've really been like knocked back by it so it's quite comforting in a way to know yeah other people experiencing very similar things and it's not just that you know oh yeah it's not just you exactly exactly you're not an anomaly well yeah so yeah that was that was good actually in a weird way um I think often as well within the within the fitness training triathlon type population we are unusually in tune with our bodies. Like we know it sounds a bit hokey that, but what I mean by that is we're always training. So we're always in and out of breath and we're always sort of comparing our paces or our power against our breathing and our heart rate. So we're really aware of it. And any small thing in training that, you know, oh, I'm 10 watts down or five seconds up or whatever in power and pace, you kind of attuned to looking for that. And so you're very aware of it when all of a sudden like I'm, I'm riding and I should be feeling like this and I'm only doing, 
you know, in my case, I was doing like 15 kilometers an hour on the bike and kind of going, I'm going to check that the brakes aren't rubbing again. But I think you just have to accept it's it's good that you're moving again. Yeah. And, and it'll come back in a period of time because, you know, some people, some people get this really badly. Obviously, it can be a – and it's a wake-up call, isn't it? Because I, as you said, a lot of people's feeling on this is, well, I had it, my mate had it, I had a cold for a day and I got better. No big deal. When somebody gets it and they're really ill, it makes you realize you could be really ill with this. It could be a, a really long-term thing. Yeah, and I think that's what freaked me out the most was if this stays around and I carry on feeling like this, like I just, I don't think I can, I don't, I don't know. It wasn't even really worth thinking about too much because um, I, as well as like doing triathlon to, you know, win and do well, it's it's also sort of a mental uh, like a, a break for me like I, I yeah. work and then I'll get on the bike or I'll go for a run or go for a swim and it lets me like unwind and I was finding in that month that I wasn't doing you know being active that I was things were winding me up more and mm. I was overthinking a lot and it's not something that I've ever actually really I didn't ever really recognize that before I think I, I knew that I was doing exercise for mental health benefits as well but I didn't really realize the impact of what that exercise has on a day-to-day sort of yeah. life kind of thing. And so, um, especially with things going on at, you know, at work or with the family over Christmas, um, I have two younger sisters, so, um, they know exactly how to wind me up. And if I have an exercise, <laughs> then it's a lot easier for them. Yeah. It's like your, uh, your natural pressure release valve. A lot of us who exercise a lot have found this. It's our way of, letting the steam out of the situation. And it's only when that gets taken away and you realize the effect it usually has on you has been taken away and you can't do it. That's when you're left with facing, oh, well, here I am with my own thoughts and what what do I do now kind of thing. Yeah. So, so how did you deal with it then? This might be interesting for, it's great this, we haven't even gone in the direction I thought the conversation was yeah. going, but how, how did you How did you react and change then to four weeks of not being able to exercise? What What did you find worked for you? So, yeah, it's it's quite a good question. So obviously we had to isolate for 10 days um, and, and had to stay indoors. We do have a little garden. So I was going out, but it was it was more kind of, I did some yoga. That was something right. that I, I don't normally do yoga. Like I, I'll stretch and, and that will kind of be that. But um, it was, to be honest, it was just, it was really just, yoga and calling up friends that was the other thing I did a lot of was just right. talking or listening to friends because actually even talking for too long I'd, I'd go out of breath so listening to other people and what other people were doing and and you know them enjoying their time I think started off really well and then when um I was talking to other sort of athlete triathletes and they were saying oh I went out for a really long ride at the weekend I think after about eight or nine days of listening to that I was a bit like I can't I still can't do that so I did that's I sort of stopped doing that kind of towards the end but it's really hard to say what helped because I just felt awful so um, yeah it was it's it's hard isn't it when when you feel really ill and that's the that's the first phase of it you feel so ill that you can't exercise even if you could You, you couldn't do it you wouldn't want to and yet you still don't have the pressure release so there's that phase of it and then there's the feeling a bit better physically and climbing the walls mentally and still not being able to exercise phase yeah exactly I mean obviously got we did get there and I did leave as soon as I sort of came out of isolation um I did pop back home because it was it was very close to Christmas so 
Uh, I had a couple of days after isolation, got back down. I lived down south, um, went back home. And it's just a whole different world when you go back home to your parents and sort of in that like safe environment. We have dogs as well. So it was like going out for dog walks. I think that sort of got me over this whole like not being able to really exercise but I could go out and 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 watch them run around as well which is was weirdly I was like oh that's that's nice it's you know calming in a way but um yeah yeah so it it was a hard I'm I'm a big believer in the purposeful the purposeful outdoor walk in nature and if you've got dogs even better but I think even if you approach with an athlete's mindset originally and you go out and say right I'm going to purposefully walk from here to there through the forest Mm. that's enough to get you into the forest and then like being in nature is really good for us whether we can understand it or explain it or not it just has a calming effect on on everyone i speak to they kind of go yeah yeah whatever hippie coach i don't want to go for a walk in the forest (laughs) and then they do it and they go yeah weirdly i felt i felt really good at the end of that and yeah like i don't know why but i know it works so go do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I actually looked into that a little while ago um, uh, because there's a project that I run with a friend that kind of tries to encourage people to get outside and ideally get on a bike. Um, and and so I was like, well, why, like, why exactly are we doing this? Is there a scientific reason? And I can't say that I really got to the bottom of it, but there is a lot to do with the trees. And I'm guessing like maybe oxygen levels or just the th- there was something there was a lot of information about trees being able to sort of get, like something's absorbed by us that's yeah it makes benefits. us feel good at the very basic level and that's that's reason enough to do it isn't it it'd be dead yeah. interesting to know if they've if they've managed to study it and, and isolate like the scientific whether well, a negative ions coming off or whatever it yeah. might be you know but for me it's enough to go well do you know what it's it's a sunny day the trees are out there I'm going to go for a walk through them and I always always feel better when I come back yeah so, absolutely yeah maybe there's the lesson of COVID for you maybe it's maybe it's go for more walks in the trees and turn to yeah. that first before the exercise bike maybe Don't that's outside. it Pip yeah maybe <laughs> And if you want to go back and listen, that was episode 369 with Pitt Paxman. Again, the uh, the links are in the show notes there. And our final interview clip for this episode is with Emma Yates. Emma had a, a storming season. She won her age group at Ironman UK and she got to go out and race in Kona. So I thought this would be a, a nice way to wrap up our, uh, our new year or going into new year edition when it's freezing cold and the weather's not so great in most places around the Northern Hemisphere, certainly, to hear the story of heading out to Kona Um, what it's like to swim with the turtles and the fishies out in Kailua Kona in Hawaii. And just as a a little added bonus here as well, we've got coach Chris Palfreyman was involved in this interview as well. You'll be hearing much more from Chris in the coming year. As soon as you put your face in the water, you see fish that you've never seen before, just the most amazing multicolored fish ever. You didn't need to snorkel or anything. You could just see them all while you were swimming and but within two minutes of me setting off swimming, I almost bumped into a turtle that was just floating around in the water. So I immediately stopped and started shouting at my husband, saying, come and see the turtle. Um, and he, he carried on. He totally ignored me. So, um, yeah, but we saw the turtle virtually every time we swam in our bay, which, yeah, I think the small child in me was was still quite excited every time I saw the turtle um but the fish were just incredible it was a real it was lovely swimming because it was so warm it was really buoyant and you just saw so much 
um, marine life when you were swimming. And we got a practice swim at Kona as well. Um, we we travelled with Nirvana and they organised a practice swim on the course for us. So we did that two days before um, the, the race, which was really good um, just to get used to swimming out along with the boys and stuff um, and just to, you know, sort of get used to the swell because there is a bit of the swell in 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 Kona and it was good to just feel that basically and understand what it might be like on the day so yeah but the the, the swimming was something very special yeah nice I'm not a swimmer swimming's my weakness um but I absolutely loved swimming out there it was it was so nice yeah I'm not gonna let you get away with that comment I'm afraid yeah good I am not a swimmer you've just been to to the world championships on the other side of the world so many people dream of being able to swim at your ability and your pace and obviously it comes with hard work yeah um, I'm afraid I'm I'm gonna have to pick you up on that Emma you are a swimmer (laughs) you're a triathlete and you just competed at the um, most competitive triathlon in the world so you know let's <laughs> let's be careful with those sentences oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> right race day then come on talk us through talk us about everything from from bike checking the day before and then into race day yeah bike checking day four was just a really hot it was so hot in Kona you just you know you're, you're sweating buckets when you're checking in your bike thinking you know those doubts appear and think oh how am I going to run in this heat but it was all really smooth the the pier when you see it in real life with nothing on it is really tight it looks tiny I remember when we, we went to look at it a few days before when there was nothing set up and I was like is that it it's really small when you see it set up with all the bike racks on on the bikes it looks a lot it's suddenly a lot bigger and the bike racks are ones where you put your rear wheel into a stand they're not ones where you put your bike seat on you put your rear wheel in and all the rear wheels were sort of more or less touching. It was really, really, they're really, really tightly packed. Um, and the age group is we have to put our helmets on the bikes. So um, just making sure that the helmet was secure so it didn't fall off or get knocked or something um, was fine. But there was loads of um, volunteers there who were helping and showing you what to do. So so that was good. And then they also walked us around the pier to show us where we had to go. Um, and at that point, the pier suddenly seems a lot bigger because <laughs> you have to walk. You have to go all the way around it. You can't cut through, um, which is what you probably wanted to do. So, yeah, I, I, I came off thinking, God, it's a really big pier. It's a lot bigger when you walk in it. Yeah. But no, that was all really, really well organised, really smooth and um, and all fine. Yeah. 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 So good. Yeah. Did you sleep the night before? Yeah, I think I think going over there because we'd kept going to bed quite early um, okay. and getting up when we woke up. So we were up most days at about six in the morning anyway. So we didn't really let the we tried. I tried not to adjust too much to the time difference. So actually, I did sleep. I probably got about four or five hours sleep, which is more than I normally get um, because I was still slightly on the UK time. I hadn't fully transferred over to. Hawaii time so getting up at four felt okay it didn't yeah. feel like the middle of the night yeah. yeah yeah okay yeah and then you're down you're down on race day morning talk yeah. us through the talk us through the Hawaii race day experience I, I was a bit of an emotional wreck I have to admit um, you? um my, I, I said goodbye to my husband just before we went through to get tattoos checked and um 
someone took a picture of us. And if you look closely, I'm, there's tears streaming down my face because I always get quite emotional at the start of these things. I think it's that months of training and then getting to something you've worked so hard for. And I think it all always hits me at the start of these things. So I was quite, I was, I was blubbing a bit and trying to hold it together just because I was like, stop, you know, this, you've got to get your act together, Emma. And then when you walk through to where they check your tattoos, all the supporters were cheering and clapping us, um, all the volunteers. And I was, it was a bit, whoa, we've not done anything yet. But they were cheering and clapping us for just getting there, which was totally unexpected, but set me off again. <laughs> so I was just, gosh, I can't cope with this. Um, I had, I had and, exactly and, the same experience. Did you? You know, yeah. I, I, I get quite emotional on any start line of any race, to be honest. I, I yeah. just, you know, it's kind of that communal um emotion that, that everyone has but specifically in Kona you yeah. know how hard it has been for the vast majority of people and you yeah. know that no one's local people have traveled from all over the world there's all yes. nationalities all creeds all colors all religions yes. and it's just this congregation of people that have been on a similar journey knowing that at 6 a.m some guy or some girl in Australia has been doing the same as some person in India same yes. as someone yes. wherever and I was the same I was in that start pen full of emotion yeah really really yeah. emotional and, and, yeah. and I think everyone's feeling the same people are realizing yeah. that this is a moment in their lives that they're not going to forget yeah um, absolutely and yeah. yeah very very yeah. very special moment yeah yeah and then we got tattoos checked and went through to check my bike and um got my bottle sorted out and stuff and then everyone was faffing with the bags for ages and I was just like my tires feel okay I don't know what else to do and you know when you sort of feel you should do more but I don't know much about bikes so I just looked at it and thought well it looks all right you know um and then I thought actually I'll go and find David because I knew what David's number was and I'd not managed to see him previously so I wandered over to where his bike was and he was still there so I introduced myself and that was lovely meeting David and you know and, and he actually said oh this is this is us representing team oxygen addict and this is this is the glory lap isn't it and I thought yeah you're right actually there is no time pressure there's no you know we all set ourselves targets don't we and I just thought actually whatever happens I just need to get around this course somehow and and it was it was lovely seeing him and um yeah just knowing that he was there at the same time was actually really nice really good sort of motivation to to be there with him and we walked back out of that area together and then Obviously, we went to sort of standing our pens, so I lost him then. But it it was good to see him there. Yeah, yeah. And then you're into the water. Did they did they do it as a as a mass start? Were you all in all together in a mass start, women and men? No, so they did it in waves. So okay. obviously the, the pro women went first, and then I think the um some of the other athletes went, and then they did it through the age group. So I was, I don't know, it was about half an hour after the pro women had started, we set off, but it was great because you you swim out to sort of the starting line, which is about 200 metres into the sea. And they held us there with the paddleboarders going up and down, which I don't think I'd quite expected that. I don't know why. And just treading water there for about five minutes with the paddleboarders going up and down. It was exactly like you see on the TV footage. And I should have got me again because <laughs> I was just like, this is it. It is exactly like you see it when you watch it. Um, and the paddleboards were all sort of chatting to us and really nice. And and actually at that point, I was again quite emotional because I, I suddenly hit me. This is it. And um, 
yeah I, I I was a bit like gosh I actually can't believe I'm I'm here and this is happening to me at this point in time so um yeah it was it was that was a really special moment for me something that will stay with me for a long time that actual realization that I am just about to do this now so yeah that was yeah. a phenomenal experience that that start line yeah that treading water moment is one that will stick with me as well it's exactly yeah. that you've just seen these paddle boarders in front of you and you know that the world's best athletes have had that experience a few minutes yes. before you're there you know yeah. you know there are dolphins nearby you know you've got all sorts yeah. of fish under you it's just that special special Kona moment it? yeah it is absolutely yeah 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 how was your swim how was your swim experience oh <laughs> so I'll say I'm not a swimmer, but I'm, I'm a, so I like my wetsuit. My wetsuit is what keeps my legs up and what helps me on the long swims, I have to admit. So I was really nervous not having a wetsuit. I had a swim skin, um, mm. but having done a practice in a lake in a swim skin, I was really, really slow. So I was I was worried about the swim and how slow I would be. And Chris, you told me that the sea was really buoyant because it was really salty. And I had noticed that when I was doing my practice swims, but I still thought, I'm still going to be really slow. Um, so, but actually the first five minutes was awful because it was arms and legs everywhere because you are, I think there was about 170 odd in my age group. So it was quite congested and it was quite a fierce start. There was a lot of swimming over and, and stuff, but I, I just stayed back and let it all happen because I thought, you know, I'm not going to do an amazing swim. I just want to get around it safely. So I sort of, but what did happen because the water was so clear after about five minutes, I found some feet in front of me that weren't kicking too much, so there weren't too many bubbles. And um, I got onto the feet for the first time I've ever managed to do this as well, despite all the training. I never managed to get onto feet, um, partly because I'm too scared of getting kicked. But I think because it was clear water, it was easy to spot the feet. And um, I got on a pair of feet after about five or ten minutes, and I stayed with them the whole way. Um, and they, I had to push it to stay. At times, I lost the feet because it got a bit congested. But I always managed to see the same pair of feet, um, and I got—I literally stayed with them right till the very end of the swim, which partly is why I probably did a, a, a decent time for me, um, because tactically, I think I, I swam it really well. Um, yeah, you swam the same time you did in in Ironman UK, didn't you? Despite not having a wetsuit on, that's. That's an amazing yeah. swim, really. For, for me, it was for me. That's great because my wetsuit. I, I do yeah. need my wetsuit. So, but I think it was it was that pair of feet. It was actually managing to do that properly for the first time made made a difference. Yeah, you're very humble. It's your skill getting on the feet that made the difference, not not the feet themselves. <laughs> yeah. I mean. I'd love to know who the feet belonged to because I I'm very grateful to that person. But yeah, she she just was. <laughs> the right pace for me to sort of tag on yeah. to. So. That's great. And, good, and, looking yeah. acro- and looking across the board of swim times from all the age groups, um, including the professionals, it was a slightly slower swim than the average Kona swim for whatever reason, probably okay. to do with the swell. Yeah. So yeah. if we take that into consideration, you know, it's not as if we can say it was an, a fast swim day for everyone. Yeah. Um, it actually yeah. looked like a fairly slow swim day for even the likes of Lucy Charles and Sam Nagel. Yeah. You know, their times were slower than yes. you'd expect. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which puts into perspective that it was a really strong swim. Um, yeah. Yeah. So very well done. Yeah. Thank you. And as we finished, as we came in back to the pier, um, when I looked over to the left when I was breathing, there was a rainbow 
on the other side of the hotel, which I don't know, I just just made it quite special seeing that rainbow. I thought, oh, you know, so it was a very, for me, that's probably the most favourite swim I've ever done. It was just, you know, I knew I'd swim well because I've gotten to the feet, but you, you still see the fish when you're swimming. You still can see all that. And when you go around the turnaround point and you go past the boats that you've seen on TV for so many years, it's, um, it is really special. And I, I really, really enjoyed the swim. I don't often enjoy a swim and Ironman, but that one is probably the best swim I've ever done, to be honest. I absolutely loved it. I mean, if yeah. you can't enjoy a long swim in Hawaii, then... <laughs> Yeah, that's probably not true. a sport for you because it's just <laughs> you're not going to find a nicer swim than that I don't think no absolutely beautiful <laughs> swim stun, absolutely stunning yeah. yeah loved it yeah yeah all right tell us about the bike then this is the this is the bread and butter for anyone who's who's doing Ironman triathlon and the bike course out there is uh is something to behold so what was your experience like of getting out onto the bike and the ride itself the bike um it was a bit tedious. Shall I say that word? Um, it, it it's not it's not a technical course. It's not. Um, it's pretty much one straight road out and back. It's just it? <laughs> one straight road out and back, basically. And I think that's the bit I hadn't quite prepared myself for. I'd, you know, you, you cycle where you live, and you've got roads, roads junctions to get through. You've got hills to go up and down. You've got lots of things that distract you from can I call it the monotony of pedaling mm-hmm. um in Kona what I hadn't quite realized was that you obviously you're on your own because there's no drafting and everything so you are quite spread out but it is just a dead straight road and you've got the sea on one side and you've got the lava fields on the other which are beautiful it's stunning it's a stunning bike course but it looks the same virtually the whole way there and back and and actually you the, the the challenge for me was the, the sort of the mental challenge of concentrating and staying focused. Um, and and I, I ended up trying to think, okay, when am I going to see the the pro women coming back on the course? And, you know, when might I spot other people and when might I see David and stuff like that? I was just trying to think of things to stay focused, really, I guess. Um it, there's no I don't there's not really any big hills it's it's undulating um I think Chris you described it as cycling on the M1 to me um <laughs> which I, I thought you were talking about the, the road surface which was right um but it was a similar I just thought yeah it is a bit like the M1 it's just a straight road yeah that you just goes on forever on the horizon and um that to me was the hardest bit it wasn't that it was hilly and, and actually we didn't get the strong wind we had a few crosswinds and we did it was windy um it felt like there was a headwind all the way out there to be honest um but it wasn't a really bad headwind it didn't you know you didn't think oh this is really hard it was just annoying if I'm honest um but it was just that trying to keep focused on something that doesn't really change um well, well, and I hadn't like, quite expected that I think that's the bit I was unprepared for yeah it looks like you you know despite of everything you just said which was essentially a course where it could be quite hard to pace because yeah of this, it's hard to stay within the zone for such a long ride um, but to give the listeners an idea of what we're talking about it was a six hour 15 minute ride your average heart rate for the total duration of that ride was 133 beats a minute yeah um, you had this alarmed me a little bit. Um, you had an, a max heart rate of 170 beats 
a minute, which was at just over the four hour mark. And that's where you average for three minutes, 160. So I think that's um, on the hill on the way home just before you take the right turn. Um, But all in all, actually, the pacing, when we split the ride into two, the first half was 132 beats a minute and the second half, 134 beats a minute on average. So in terms of a smooth ride, apart from that kind of three or four minutes where I think it probably spiked a little bit too much. Yeah. Overall, that was beautifully paced. Um, yeah. On a that's course a, that's not that easy to pace. Yeah, and I think that you're probably right. That was probably that hill because I knew that that hill was that was exactly at two hours on the way out there. So it, yeah. was, it would have been at that point, and I probably was trying not to get caught on those hills. You always get more athletes, don't you? They congest. So yeah. I have this paranoia about being caught drafting. <laughs> so yeah. I was probably putting in an effort to get round people, so I wasn't in the drafting zone. If I'm honest, that. Probably, if I think back, I think that's probably what I was doing. That I was trying not to get into trouble, basically. So I would have put in an effort to get around those those people. To be honest, yeah. Mm-hmm. But all yeah. in all, be- beautifully paced. Um, same with um, kind of heart rate drift. It doesn't seem as if, yeah, you know, on a course like this, especially in the conditions, we could expect to see in the last two hours your heart rate kind of drifting up and up and up. And, yeah, and and that's. It's interesting because you'd you'd sort of advise hold off on the way out to keep your power a bit lower on the way out, which I did consciously try to cycle within myself more on the way out than on the way back, um, which again is quite hard because it is windy and you, you yeah. sort of and you're trying to con- you lose that concentration a bit. But I did have your words reverberating in my head that don't push it too much on the way out. Um, you know, so, I couldn't yeah. think of anything worse, to be honest. Being in Hawaii, having my voice in your head saying "slow down," <laughs> I'm really sorry about that. It's quite comforting, to be honest. <laughs> That's good to hear. Sounds like you paced that bike really well, then. And in terms of, I guess, coming in off the bike, you're always going to be tired after riding 112 yeah. miles. But as you started the marathon, what was your perception of of how you were feeling? Coming, starting the marathon, I, I felt all right actually. Um, you are obviously you're always tired. Um, I felt all right, and actually I was really excited to be finally running rather than the swimming the cycle because I, I, running's my best bit. And I was just, I'm always incredibly relieved to get off the bike with no incidents. Um, yeah. So I think that always spurs me on a bit to start the run to to, to go probably out a little bit too fast. But um, coming out onto the run course, I did probably set off a bit too fast because of the excitement and, and you're immediately into the crowds you start running through Kona town center there's loads of people out watching it's a brilliant atmosphere um and and you go you know you come back onto Ali drive and then you do a sort of out and back and and that the atmosphere on there was brilliant really good support lots of hose pipes um squirting at you and and just a really nice banter with some other people running I saw a few people I, I knew from our hotel I saw lots of supporters I knew and it was just that first sort of 10 to 12 kilometers is is brilliant it's such an amazing atmosphere and you're running with lots of other people so um yeah that was really good um I'm gonna back really up, enjoyed that bit of the run <laughs> I'm gonna back up what you just said with some numbers um so to give the listeners an idea we're looking at three hour 45 minute run off the top of my head yeah um which is outstanding on that course um and your first uh, half of the run, so the half marathon, you came through in one hour 47, which is maybe a little bit too fast on the yeah. day. 
Um, and your average heart rate for that period was 156 beats a minute to have a pace of 808 minute per mile. Yeah. So it does look that you went out a little bit too fast when you yeah. compare it to the second half. Um, so the second half marathon was one hour 58 minutes yeah. um, with a heart rate of 149 and the average pace dropped to 859. So it wasn't quite as well paced as the bike. Um, no. And if I think if we could bring those two halves slightly closer together, there's definitely room for a slightly quicker runtime. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, at this stage, who cares? You ran, you, you know, <laughs> you ran really, really well. And I don't think anyone's complaining about that runtime. Um, and it sounds like you, you know, you run a little bit on emotion, which is also great. You're in Hawaii and yeah. make the most of those yeah. crowds. It's the world yeah. championships. Yeah. And you held on. You were still running fast at the end. So, you know, there's no blow up in sight there. It's just... You know, Personally, from a coach, I'd like to see a little bit more those two halves being brought close together in terms of heart rate and pace. But yeah, um, no, you you are spot on. Um, I think I'm a bit disappointed in the run. If I'm being, really, yeah, yeah, um, for the very reason this has just said. I, I did try and hold it slower in, at the start. Emotion does get to me on Ali you drive, you can't explain the atmosphere. It it does get to you. And and you're right, I run on emotion a lot and it it did spur me on and probably set me up a little bit too fast. I do remember looking at a watch on an hour and I'd done just fractionally under 13k and I was targeting 12k. So I thought, ooh, that's a bit too fast. But I thought you'll you will slow down. <laughs> but what got me was running on the Queen K highway, it is it's the bike course. So it is it's quite there's not much to see and there's not the, the, the supporters of the feed stations are absolutely brilliant but a lot of it you're running on your own which I haven't mm. again quite realized it's a mentally tough run mentally isn't it? really challenging and when you go down to the energy lab it seems to get hotter on that tarmac and it is it's almost like a never-ending before you reach the turnaround point and I found that really hard I found the energy lab bit having thought it would be this really iconic <laughs> I was sort of running along thinking this is really really hard um and really really hot um and and it was fine I knew I was all right I knew I was running at a decent pace but that took an awful lot out of me I knew it had and when we got back onto the Queen K highway and I felt it in myself that it had probably taken a bit more out of me than I anticipated because I kept thinking oh you you're coming up to the fourth lap of Bolton and trying to sort of get that feeling again of you on your last lap. It was really hard to do that. I I, yeah. I felt I'd lost a lot of energy at the energy lab, basically. Um, that bit was harder than I really expected. And I, I don't really know why other than I think it was just, it felt really hot out there. Yeah, I think I think that's it. It's, yeah. I think that the, the fade on the second half of your run is, is less about... It's not about sort of poor pacing early on or excitement early on. It's more about the fade that happens when yeah. you're really tired and hot yeah. because, yeah. you know, you went through the halfway point in about the same average pace you did at Bolton. I mean, I've, I'm such a stats geek. I've been through all the people in your age group. You were a minute away from the fastest run in your age group in Kona. You yeah. ran 345. There were two yeah. girls who ran 344. Every, yeah. I say girls, women, sorry. Yeah. Everyone else was over four hours. Yeah. So, 
That's again, funny. comparatively, it's a, yeah. you are one of the fastest Ironman yeah. runners in Kona in your age group in the world. Yeah. And everybody fades over that back half yeah. because everyone's yeah. in this mental torture. Yeah. Of, yeah. I'm, a, I'm finished yet. I can't tell. I'm in the middle of nowhere. It's hot. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> I want to be done. This is yeah. where's the music playing, you know, all of yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But that's an amazing run, Emma. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I did. Um, I struggled though. I, um, I thought I'd got my electrolytes and my nutrition sorted. I'd done quite a bit of work on sweat tests and stuff to make sure I wasn't caught out. And um, coming back down the Queen K at about 20 miles, I started feeling really ill. Um, and I was really struggling to keep gels inside me, um, which is fine because I often struggle like that. I'm, I'm, it, it, you know, I, I'm, it's still something I need to try and work on. Um, at, when we came off the Queen K Highway about, what is it about just before 25 miles you turn right down Polini Drive and I've been so looking forward to that moment because I thought once you get there you've done it you're downhill you've got a yeah. bit around the town centre and then you're done and in my head that Polini Drive corner was the thing to aim for and I've been feeling really sick all the way along the Queen K Highway and thinking, just hold it together you're all right you're gonna get there turn down Polini Drive feed station water coke straight down, straight back out again, all over me, all over my shoes. And all, <laughs> I was just like, oh, no. Isn't that amazing? We're talking about, um, you know, one of the quickest runs in your age group at the World Championships, you know, and we're talking about someone who's got terrible stomach problems and vomiting all over themselves. <laughs> and I was, what a and performance. Apologies to those people on Polini Drive who were watching <laughs> me because they got, they. it was not a pretty sight. That's what they're there for. Been the only one. But actually, once once I had been sick and it was quite violent sickness, um, I did feel a bit better. And I just thought I was I was a bit worried. I was like, "Don't be one of the people that starts to collapse because you mm. you completely drained." But actually, I felt all right, and I managed to just I took my glasses off, took my hat off, because um, it was dark at this point. Yeah, <laughs> and um, just knew then I thought you've got a mile to go. Just just do it, you know. So. Um, well, it sounds like you, yeah, you so managed high. it really well. I think that was probably yeah. the tipping point. It could have gone either way. And if I you know. hadn't listened to your body and if you hadn't yeah. taken what you took on board at that specific time, yeah. or if you'd slightly overbiked, I think that that yeah. could have been yeah. a yeah. pretty chaotic run. Yeah, um, yeah. So you did so, really well there. Yeah. So now I think um, I, th- I think I understand why I slowed down so much in that, that last six miles. I was I did find yeah. it really hard. And if you enjoyed that snippet, you can go back and you can listen to episode 407 with, uh, with Emma Yates there racing out in Kailua, Kona. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this best of episode. And it brings us to the end of this podcast, the last podcast of 2022. I don't really know where the year has gone, if I'm honest with you. I hope you guys have all had a fantastic year. We've got loads of exciting stuff lined up for you in the new year couple of things to make you aware of. We're going to be expanding out of just triathlon coaching and just triathlon features on the podcast in the new year. So we're going to be rebranding the podcast in the new year. I'm going to be joined by coach Chris Palfreyman as a co-host on most, if not all of the episodes. And we're also moving our podcast over onto YouTube to be host there as well as just the sound only version. So if you've not already done so, Get yourself over onto YouTube, search out the Oxygen Addict podcast on YouTube, like and subscribe. We're going to be winning, uh, running a competition in early January. Anybody who's liked and subscribed to our channel by the end of January 
we're going to be uh, giving out some Team Oxygen Addict t-shirts kit all manner of things that we've got away there for people who like and subscribe to the channel so more details over there you just have to search for the oxygen addict podcast over on youtube so i hope to uh well i hope we get lots of viewers over on the over on the video version as well yeah great stuff okay so some discount codes and deals for you to wrap this up at precisionfuelandhydration.com our longtime sponsors you can use the code oa22 for 15% off your first electrolyte order this will be changing to oa23 from the 1st of january so if you're listening after then the code you're after is OA23. And at teamoxygenetic.com, I think we've got the most comprehensive endurance sports coaching program for busy age groupers. We've got triathlon, ultra running, duathlon, aquabike, runners, marathon runners, cyclists, sportives, gravel riders, ultra swim, swim runs, you name it. Our athletes have been doing these for over two seasons now, as well as triathlon. So we're expanding our expanding and rebranding, I think, what we're doing a little bit to let people know that we do that as well as just iron and half iron distance triathlon if you're interested in coaching for any of those events you can book a call with me to see if you'd be a good fit for joining the team and let's see how we can best help you achieve your endurance event goals in 2023 there's a link in the show notes you can book a call there it won't be through until january because i'm taking a little bit of time off over the christmas period but in january we'd love to hear from you so remember there's links in the show notes you don't have to remember them until next week have a great safe training and racing week i'm coach rob Wilby. i hope you have a fantastic christmas and new year i hope 2023 is everything you wish for until then you've been listening to the oxygenetic podcast take care see ya